The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. Good morning. I got to follow that. Good job, Colin. Wonderful. And he did it all without looking on the notes or anything like that? I mean, I know the word, but still, I got to refer to my notes. Once I'm up here, it's a little different. You get nervous. You get, that's great. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for this wonderful day that you're giving us again to gather around your word. And as we continue this study in the book of James. And God, I ask that we're not only going to be hearers of your word, but doers of your word and take these words that we learn and things that we might take away personally and take home that we apply into our everyday life. And I ask that you give me wisdom to preach the word today. And we're going to talk about prayer. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, as we continue our journey through the book of James, come to chapter 4. In James' book, chapter 4, the first 12 verses, there's so much in there that we can talk about. But in reality, James kind of repeats some of the same things that he's already said in the past. You know, where the worst comes from within you, and it's the inner battle. But as I looked at this word and I said, hey God, what, what can I preach and talk about today with the people of grace and without sounding too redundant, because James just keeps on pounding us. God pointed me to prayer. God pointed me to prayer because I think it's one of the things that, and you know, I'm not going to surprise you, it's one of the greatest Christian privileges, but what's more importantly, it's probably one of the greatest failures for us. And, you know, sometimes everybody has a spare tire in their car, right? It's there just in case we have a flat or our, one of the tires starts leaking air. Some of us have AAA memberships. You know, it's there. Nice to have, but you only plan to use it in the case of an emergency. That's sometimes how we approach prayer. And you know, a real preacher asked the little boy if his prayers, he said his prayers at night. He said, yes, I do. And he said, do you say them in the morning? He said, no. He said, why? He said, well, I ain't afraid when I'm not in the dark. And I want to tell you that there's no substitute for prayer. You can substitute many things, but there's no substitute for prayer. No enthusiasm, not intellect, not intent. We need to learn how to pray. So if there's anything that I need to do, you need to do, we need to do, everyone needs to do is learn how to pray. And because a man who can pray, he can do anything because prayer can do anything that God can do. And God can do anything. And our desperate need these days is to link our lives with God who has called upon us and told us many times in the scripture to pray. And today I want to talk about prayer, but I really want to talk about principles that are real and valid because God does not work according to whim, fancy, or impulse. There's rules to prayer. There are definite laws and rules when it comes to prayer and getting our prayers answered. So, and a lot of us don't really have a failure in life that's not a prayer failure. That's what really is. We don't have sin in our life. We don't have a prayer that could have prevented that sin. 
So the three things I want to look at in the book of James here in the first 12 verses is first is the unasked prayer, unanswered prayer. Then I want to talk about the undeniable prayer. How are you going to get your prayers answered, guaranteed? That your prayers shall not be denied. So let's read the first 12 verses. Where do wars and white fights come among you? Do they not come from your desires and pleasures that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot, cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, and you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you know that the friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us earns jealously? But he gives more grace, therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. You purify your hearts, you double-minded. In mourning weep, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? The reason we often do not get the things from God is simply we do not ask. So when our prayer is wrong, when our prayer life is wrong, our Christian life is wrong. And it's been said the purpose of prayer is not to get man's will done in heaven, but to get God's will done here on earth. So very first here, I'm looking at unasked prayer. In the first two verses, we see a man who is struggling to get his needs, but he fails to ask God. It says in the first two verses, where do wars fights come from, from you? Do they come from your desires, pleasures that war your members? You lust and do not have. You murder, covet, cannot obtain. You fight a war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. We go about killing, trying to get what we need, when all the time the Father says, ask and you shall receive. See, God wants to answer your prayers. Very plainly, we have needs unmet because we don't ask in prayer. God put it very wonderfully. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 7, in Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. This is God's plan. And God doesn't want you to do it yourself. You must ask God. There's a problem that can't be solved by prayer. No problem too big to solve. And I want to tell you, when we begin to pray and seek God's face, we will know peace both domestically and in our hearts as we seek the face of the Almighty God. God wants to bless us, and God wants to bless us through prayer. Two weeks ago, we gathered at my brother-in-law's, and again, the big farm, and the kids out there fishing, and he was trying to teach them about teamwork. But at the end of the day, they had a big tub where they would put all the fishes in there so all the other kids can look at them, the ones that couldn't fish. And at the end of the day, time to put everything away, and we would usually tip the tub over back into the pond so all the fish and water goes back into the pond. So we're cleaning up, and one of his little kids is that high. He's standing there and pushing, and 
he's red in the face trying to tip over the tub, and he's got a vein coming out of here, and, you know, he's trying to pull it with all his strength. And his dad says, you know, he was trying to teach him about teamwork, but I got something spiritual out of it. He says, are you using all your strength? And he says, yes. And he's like, no, you're not. You haven't asked your daddy to help you. And that's how prayers are. We're, we're trying to do things ourselves. Well, I'm doing everything I can with all my strength. Have you asked him to help you? Have you asked him to help you? Father, I want you to help me with this. Have you asked for help? We go about fighting, warring, trying to get something in our lives, but we fail to ask. It's very simple. And God wants to bless us, believe me. God has storehouse full of blessings for you up in heaven. How do you get them? Through prayer. There's another story of two neighbors who's growing apples, sweet, crispy apples. But for whatever reason, one neighbor one year just had sweet, and the other one had sour. They were bitter. You couldn't eat these apples. So the neighbor brought over some three bags worth of canvas bags of apples, and he said, you know, here you go, brother. I know your crop is failing this year, but don't want you to miss out on the apples. And he gave him these apples. And he says, brother, there's too much. It's just Wilma and I. We got three canvas bags. What am I going to do with all these apples? He said, make apple pies, give them away. I don't care. So he put them in his pantry. And that night when he went to sleep, he looked out the window, and somebody was stealing apples from his garden, stealing these bitter, sour apples. So he tells his wife about that in the morning, and they laughed, and they're like, I want to see his face when he bits into that apple. But the husband says, you know what gets to me? Suppose that man <clears throat> walked up and knocked on our door, and he said, hey, can I have some of your apples? I would have said, absolutely not, because they're bad, they're bitter, they're sour. But come on in. I got apples in the pantry that are going to spoil and rot. I can share them with you. All we have to do is ask. But what do we do? We're just like that man. We're trying to figure out our own way. We go about warring, fighting, stealing, trying to... I don't know, cut some laws, look for loopholes. Do you see those blessings that are there? You're going to get to heaven. God's going to come into the storehouse and he's going to show us. You see all these things? I wanted to bless you with those things. But you never asked. I wanted to give you these crispy, delicious apples. But you wanted the sour ones by yourself. You never asked. So there's the unasked prayer. Just like in the old hymn. We sing in the, what a friend we have in Jesus. What peace we often forfeit. Needless pain we bear. Why? All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And not only you're missing out on the blessings when you don't pray, but you're singing, sinning against God when you don't pray. Do you know that? 1 Samuel 12, 23 says, Moreover, as for me, far it be from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good in the right way. King James Version says, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. That's constantly, continuously, we're to be praying. Now, does that mean every day of my life I spend five minutes or like every second I pray? No, that's not what it means. And friends, I'll tell you the truth, I'm not into long prayers myself. I'm not one of those that gets up six o'clock in the morning. And spends an hour in prayer. 
I'm not into that. I'll be honest. But it's never long for me to be without a prayer. I pray throughout the day, maybe 20 times a day. Short prayers. I pray for each one of you. Each one of you that asked me to pray for you, or texted me, or send me a message, I guarantee I'm praying for it. Because if I don't, I'm singing against the Lord. And when um, in Luke 18, 1, Jesus spoke and he said, parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Not lose heart means we should always pray. And there are another reason we should pray is in, uh, you know, John uh, Bunyan put it in Pilgrim's Progress, says prayer will make, us, will make a man cease from sin, but sin will make a man cease from prayer. So prayer will keep you away from sin or sin will keep you away from prayer. There's no sin in my life, there's no sin in your life or anybody's life that a proper prayer would have prevented. Christ told his disciples in 1438 of Mark, says, watch and pray lest you enter temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. And the reason we enter into temptations so easily when talked about temptations, we fail to pray. We fail to put on the armor of God. So therefore, prayerlessness is a sin. That's the unasked prayer. Now I want to look at, at the unanswered prayer. There are some people who don't pray, but there are people who do pray, but their prayers don't get higher than the ceiling. They don't get higher than the light bulbs. Why is that? Well, their motivation is basically selfish, sinful, and is not, God's not going to subsidize your sin. He's not going to underwrite your selfishness. Because selfish desires, people who have selfish desires are always unhappy people. They're always looking for the blessings they don't have and they're not thankful for the blessings that they do have. They can't get along with other people because they're always envying others. What they have and what they do. And they're always looking for that something magic, something that will change their life. But the real problem, as we talked in the past, is with their hearts. And he says here in for, uh, th verses 3 and 4, And you ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss, and that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know what the friendship with the world is enmity with God? Wherefore, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Can you guys imagine being an enemy of God? Being an enemy of God. You think God is going to answer the prayers of his enemies? How are we the enemies of God? When we become the friend of the world. Well, what's wrong with being the friend of the world? Now, what is the world? And we talked about this in the past. It's not talking about unsafe people. It's not talking about nature. We're talking about, the, we're talking about the, this system. Ungodly system that sets against our Lord. That's what it is. But what's all in this world? What's all in this world? 1 John 2.16, we read this before as well. For all that is in this world is lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. It's not of the Father, but of this world. There it is. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. And we see the world's value system everywhere. We see it on TV, magazines, newspapers, radio, internet, you name it. Taught, taught as dogma in our classrooms. And Christians are expected to, you know, walk, lock and step with the, we're told, is right and wrong. And suddenly we become politically incorrect. We're not in the mainstream of what everybody else is saying. But what Jesus is saying 
is friendship with the world is adultery. You see, Christ is our heavenly bridegroom. Church, that is all of us, is the bride. We're married to Jesus Christ because we're married to him. We should be true to him and pure before him. And the world is like a heart. You know, it's like a prostitute trying to steal our love away from the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we flirt with the world, when we run to the world, when, when the ambitions, ideas, ideals, and desires of the world, they find a lodging place in our hearts, we set ourselves in warfare with God. We're the bride. We should be pure, separated. Give herself to the groom alone, and church should belong to Jesus Christ and him only. In 2 Corinthians 11.2, it says, For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I betroth to you one husband that may present you as chaste virgin to Christ. We're to be jealous for the Christ, uh, cause of Christ. We're to belong to Jesus and to him alone. That's the figure of speech. It's a metaphor, but that's what he's referring to here. Look what Jeremiah 3.8 says. This is what God said. Then I saw that all causes of blacksliding of Israel had committed adultery. So was he talking about actual sexual adultery? No. Spiritual adultery. And what happened? I had put her away, given her a certificate of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but went and played the harlot also. That's what separates us. We become friend of the world. Suppose you're a Christian who has unconfessed, unrepented sin in life and loves this world, then come to God and asks for him to do such and such or bless this and that, give him strength. Do you think God's going to do it? Do you think God's going to answer that prayer? He will not. Suppose there's a woman who's being unfaithful to her husband and her husband knows it. And she comes to her husband and says, hey, can I have a couple of thousand dollars? He says, for what? Well, my boyfriend and I, we want to go to Las Vegas, and we want you to subsidize this for our vacation for us. You think he'll be a wise husband to give her that money? If he does, he's just going to kind of encourage that sin. He's going to subsidize that sin. God's not going to do it. And Proverbs 28, 9 says, who t- One who turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayers of domination. We come to God and say, God, give me strength. Where maybe we're sick. Well, if you're a worldly Christian, think about it. Why would God give you more strength? To do what? What are you going to do with that strength? Serve the devil? God, heal me. Give me strength. Well, what are you going to do with it? Why should just give you more strength, more ability to be unfaithful? Have you thought about that? Are you being faithful before you get down on your knees? If not, confess it. Look what Isaiah 59, 2 says. But your iniquities have separated you from God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so he will not hear you. And the prayers that are unasked, but there's also prayers that are unanswered. And you see, the unanswered prayer is where your motives are not pure, and God wants to answer your prayer. He's not going to answer your prayer because you just want to consume those things on your lungs. And when you're doing that, you're committing adultery in your life. Now, a person says, well, Cornelia, you just read, and the Bible says if I, I, I asked, I thought, and I got all these things, and you just read in Matthew 7, 7, let's look at that again. It says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Well, listen, a text without context is a pretext, right? 
Go back to Matthew 6.33. But first seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. Are you seeking the kingdom of God? We just come in God's friends with a laundry list of things and say da-da-da-da-da-da-da. But really, we ought to seek the kingdom of God first. And when you do, your laundry list of things is going to change completely. So there's the problem with the unanswered prayer. And we need to remember that God will meet our needs, but not our greeds, my friends. Now, the third thing I want to talk about is the undeniable prayer of a spiritual man. Undeniable prayer. And you see, it should be normal for us that God answers our prayers. It should not be normal for you if God does not answer your prayers. Sometimes I hear people come up and say, God answered my prayer. Well, you act like that's a surprise. It should. It should be a surprise if he's not answering your prayers. So how can we pray so our prayers will not be denied? How can we get through with God? And I want to give you five to six things here. And the first is, we have to have sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. In James 4, 5, he says, Or do you think that the Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us earns, earns jealously? Do you think God is just spinning his wheels, wasting time when he put this in here in the scripture? The spirit that dwells in us is the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 9 says, but you are not of the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Do you have sensitivity? Is he dwelling in you? Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. Now, this spirit that's in us, dwells in us jealously, earns for the entire devotion of the heart. The Holy Spirit that is in you put you to cause to love Jesus more passionately. It says the Spirit who dwells in us earns jealously. Did you know the Bible teaches that God is a jealous God? God is a jealous God. Now people sometimes don't understand that. They think associate jealousy is always bad. Jealousy is not always bad when God's jealous. You see, many of us are jealous when we have no right to be jealous. You see, I can't be jealous of Colin because he sings that, that well. Dan has no right to be jealous of other musicians because he doesn't own the realm of music. There's other musicians. I don't have the right to be jealous of other preachers because I don't own preaching. But you see, there's only one God. There's only one God. I want to look at these three verses all at the same time, hopefully. Yep. Yet, and I am the Lord... Your God ever since land of Egypt, and you shall know no God but me, for there is no Savior besides me. You shall have no other gods before me. And Deuteronomy says, for I am the Lord your God, I am a jealous God. You see, God does not just want a place in your life. He doesn't want priority preeminence in your life. He demands preeminence. He's, he's, he's it. Do you want you get your prayers answered? We need to be sensitive to the Spirit. We need to be sensitive that in the way that we don't quench the Spirit, then you're praying, we need to be praying in the Spirit. Ephesians 6.18 says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Praying in the Spirit is letting the Holy Spirit dictate your prayers. It's letting God lead your prayers, letting God direct your prayers. The Spirit energizes your prayers. And that's the very first principle of prayer. 
there must be sensitivity to the Spirit. Do you know why we find it difficult to pray? You ever have those moments where you just, it's a drag to pray, you're kind of, oh, I gotta go pray. Do you know why? Because we're being ruled by the flesh. We're being ruled for the flesh, and the flesh is a warfare with God. Remember when Jesus went in the garden and prayed, and he came out, the disciples were sleeping? What did he say with those lazy disciples at the time? Matthew 26 and 41 and 40, 40 and 41, it says, What, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Flesh doesn't want to pray. So if you're a fleshy Christian, you're going to find it difficult to pray. Hard work. If you're a spiritual Christian, you're going to find the prayer to be a delight. Because you're being ruled by the Spirit. Now, if you're finding it difficult to pray, you're probably not filled with the Spirit. Or because you not have surrendered completely to God, to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Maybe there's unconfessed sin, unrepentant sin in your heart. And our prayers are not going to be answered until we take care of that. So there must be sensitivity to the Spirit of God. Is the Jesus Lord Christ of your life? Is He your Savior? Can you truly say that? Do you love him with all your full heart's devotion? So number one, submit to the Spirit. Number two, submit to the Father. Verses six through seven, he gives, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God and resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So you're no longer proud. You're no longer like the man fights, wars, schemes, desires to have and cannot obtain he tries to do things himself. Now you have this humble surrender. God's in control. And that's the key principle. But more, he gives more grace. More than what? More than our will, selfishness, and ability to relinquish control. That's the primary work of the Spirit is to humble us. It's not easy to go from pride of life and humble ourselves before the Lord, is it? Sometimes we come and pray, but then we still go and do our own thing not easy. But we need to come to God and say, God, I can't do it. And I'm able to do it myself. I humble myself before you. I want you to be, your will be done. I submit to you. You know, we come to God and we say, not thou will be done, but my will be done. Prayer is not getting God to do what he doesn't want him, what he doesn't want to do. Prayer is not your bending God's will into fit your will. Prayer is finding God's will and getting into it. And therefore, when we come to God, we must come to God saying, as it says in Luke 11, 2, he said to them, when you pray, say, your Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done as on earth as in heaven. See, that's what happened in the Garden of Eden. Not your will, but my will be done. But then the second Adam in another garden said, your will be done. Not my will be done. In Luke twenty-two forty-two, we're saying, saying, Father, if it's your will, take this cup away from me. Remember him praying in the garden? But he says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And here's the example for all of us. Jesus taught if we get our answers answered, we are to pray in Matthew 6, 9, 10. He says, it's a matter, manner, therefore pray. 
In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Are you willing to pray that way? Sometimes we're scared of God's will. We don't want to say that. Right? We say, give me this, that, and that. Bless me this. And then sometimes we throw, if it's your will. We're scared sometimes. But in 1 John 5, 14, it says, Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to my will, no, according to his will, he hears us. So many of us want God just to rubber stamp our own ambitions, our own desires, our own ways. Just like what the, James is describing here in the first two verses. They're warring, scheming, and we want God's standard of approval. Well, we don't wait on the Lord. We don't seek the Lord. We don't let God's word abide in us. We don't want to do his will. When clearly in John 15, 7, it said, If you abide in me, my words abide in you. All right? You will ask then what you desire, it will she be done for you. But we're just marching in his presence with chaplains and wonder why God's not answering our prayers. Have you checked your heart? Are you in God's will? And somebody said, are you suggesting that if I pray a prayer that's outside God's will, he will not answer? The answer is yes, he will not. Why would God answer a prayer that's not in his will? So the third thing I want to talk about is standing against the devil. Therefore, submit to God, resist, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Why does he mention this here? Because anybody that has tried to pray, the enemy will attack. The enemy will attack. The principle of a powerful prayer is that prayer cannot be denied is this. When you pray you will enter into warfare with the devil. You will. Prayer is warfare. In Ephesians 6, 11, Paul reminds us, says, put on the whole armor of God that you be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. When we put the armor of God, we're just getting ready to battle. We have an enemy. That's what we need to understand. Sometimes we think the devil is a little red thing with the pitchfork and, you know, and that kind of stuff in our image. That's what he wants you to think he is. But we really have a real enemy, a common enemy, sinister enemy, enemy who hates you because you belong to God. And sometimes I shut myself from, from everything, right? I go into a prayer room and I need to have a long time, ask for God's guidance, and you close the door, you get on your knees, and all these silly things start popping in your head, right? It's almost like somebody's creeping through the door hole underneath the door. That I, I oh man, it's going to rain, I, I better... Mow the yard. Oh, do we need to go to shop? Do I need to go to Costco? We need some paper towels. And it's almost like you find yourself thinking on one level and talking on the other level, and you're, but you're in prayer. The devil does that. The devil does that. Why? Because he's going to oppose you when you come to prayer. You see, we need to understand the power of true undeniable prayer. Devil trembles when he sees his weakest saints on the knees. He trembles. And prayer is one weapon the devil cannot duplicate or counterfeit. Because he knows the power of God is manifested through prayers of the saints. James Sidlow Baxter said this, I believe that whenever we begin to pray, the devil says to his demons, 
Stop him before from praying. Stop him. Boy, if he learns how to pray, if he learns how to pray, he can beat us every time. But if we stop him from praying, we'll beat him every time. And let me tell you something about the devil. The devil doesn't mind if you come to church in the morning. The devil doesn't mind if you have a preacher. The devil will even encourage you to read the Bible if it will keep you from praying. The devil will encourage you to go to church Sunday morning if it will keep you from praying. Last week we talked about wisdom. If any of us lacks wisdom, how do we ask? What do we do? We ask, right? How do we ask? It's prayer. If we need to clean our hands and purify our hearts, how do we do it? Prayer. You see, prayer is the breath, air, it's the, to your soul, and it's the lifeline that the devil wants to just cut off. He just wants to turn it off. And you find when you're trying to pray in the Spirit, you're desiring to bring your full heart's devotion to Jesus Christ, you will feel that oppression that comes against the name of Jesus. Now, let me explain something to you about resisting the devil, because I also, I'm going to kind of scattle down from prayer about resisting the devil, because it's one of the most misquoted texts in the Bible. Probably the second misquoted text in the Bible. There's this thing I call kingdom authority. Okay? You see, to truly resist the devil, you must be a citizen of this kingdom. And you have to be under the authority of this kingdom. Some people think that resisting the devil is like uh, some hocus-pocus stuff, right? They just say, in Jesus' name, go away. And we, we're supposed to think that Jesus, uh, the devil is like some scary cat, puts a tail between his legs and he runs away. You know, there's Charlie Daniels songs. The certain preacher say, the devil is such a loser, he lost the fiddle contest down in Georgia. We think that he's a loser. They think they can somehow cast out demons by holding a golden cross in front of somebody's face. And all these things, there's a Greek word for that. Everybody knows my favorite Greek word? Baloney. And the reason I want to tell you that, because it's complete nonsense. Demons, the devil, is real. You should not play around with them. And in the scripture, I'm going to show you this, kind of step away, is the book of Acts of 19. So some background to give you, you know, the apostles preaching, baptizing, Holy Spirit descending upon people and so forth, and pretty much to summarize the whole thing in verse 11, 19-11 says, Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. Now first, I want to pay attention to say here, God worked, not Paul worked, but God worked miracles by the hands of Paul. And then we read 13 through 16. And then some Jews exorcists took upon themselves to call the name of Lord Jesus, who those had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you in the, in, by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, of Jewish chief priests, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was sleeped on them, overpowered them, prevailed against them, so they fled out of the house naked and wounded. See, these are people who are counterfeits. It says, the Jesus Paul preaches, not my Jesus. Jesus, not the Jesus we preach. So what's the result? Demon in this guy pops out, beats him up big time to learn the valuable lesson. 
They learned that they were not in the element, their own element. They were not in the league. The evil spirit in their own, they, they, they were outmatched. Why? Why were they outmatched? You see, to have authority, to have any kind of authority to do that, you must be in submission to the higher authority that has authority over all things. Preachers often misquote and, you know, say, resist the devil, he will flee from you. That's not true, my friend. The devil is not at least a bit afraid of us. He's not. He's more clever than we are. He's much stronger than we are. He has powers beyond any of us possess. In terms of creation, he's far older than any human race and much higher in the order of things. Before the fall, he was the highest, wisest, most powerful of all created beings. Even in his fallen state, even in his fallen state, remember the arch, uh, angel Michael when they were talking about Moses' body? Did, Michael has also got some things going on. He's a strong angel, right? Did he get into a battle with the devil? No, he knew who he was. But he also knew where the power was. And what did he say? Lord, rebuke you. He said, not me, I'm going to punch you or something. No, because he was in submission to the Almighty God. And it's no secret that some of our prayers are not answered, friends. And we have to realize the power of the devil. I'm sorry, I'm stepping away, but it's important. He's the leader of thousands, legions of fallen angels. We need to understand, devil is not afraid of us. He's not going to flee from us. We can resist him as much as we want, puts forth his power. We're going to go down. The Holy Spirit does not say resist the devil and he will flee from you. It says submit yourselves unto God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now that changes the equation, doesn't it? And you see, that's why in 1 John 4, 4 it says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you, if he's in you, is greater than the one who's in the world. So that's the only way you're going to resist the devil. And number four, separation from the world. We briefly touched on that. But in 4, 8 says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, your sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Friends, defiled hands, dirty hearts, Double minds do not get prayers answered. We are to be lifting to God in prayer with holy, clean hands. In Isaiah 1, 15 through 16, he says, When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away your evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. And Psalm 66, 18 says, If regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. So cleanse your hands, your sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. There must be a separation from the world. So if you're trying to hold on to God and trying to hold on to the world at the same time, you're committing adultery. And we read last Sunday in 1 John uh, chapter 3, verse 2, uh, Verses 2 to 3, Beloved, now we are children of God. It has not been revealed what we shall be, but we know what He is revealed. 
We shall be like him, for he shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope does what? Purifies himself just as he's pure. Well, you say, well, my heart's clean. I don't have any, I don't have any sin. Maybe I just have a little grudge against someone. You know, sometimes we think by forgiving somebody, we're going to do that person a favor by forgiving them. You know, we're, we're going to relieve some kind of pressure for them if I forgive them. Sometimes maybe that's true, but in reality, you're only hurting yourself. You need to realize what that little grudge in your heart may be costing you. In Mark eleven twenty five, 25, it says, Whenever you stand and pray, and if there's anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven also, also forgive your trespasses. So for most of us, we're good, we're nice, church-going folks. There's no adultery, thievery, stealing. That's not your problem. But it's just your attitude towards somebody else. Maybe there's resentment, pride, hostility, criticism. Be done with it. It's not worth it. Let it go. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, your sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Remember, we read in James 1, 7 and 8, it says, For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Why? He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So as you can see, a lot of this in verse, verses 1 through 12 is kind of repeating what he's already said. If the distance has grown between you and the God, there's one thing for sure, God hasn't moved. God hasn't moved. So failure to maintain a meaningful, quiet Bible reading or prayer time will separate you from there. Entertaining or having unconfessed sins in your life, that will separate you. Indulging in questionable amusements. Neglecting fellowship with God's people will do it. And willful disobedience to God's word that's already revealed to you. Failure to apply it to your life, that will do it too. God number of times tells his people in Zechariah 1.3 says, Therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. In Malachi 3.7 it says, Yet from the days your fathers have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them, return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said in what we shall we return. You see, God will answer those who are careful to hold communion with him. He's there to bless, comfort, give life, guide, support. And this should encourage us to return to Him. If you want to get closer to God, take the initiative. If you look at it, in all these verses it says, Return to me first, and I will return. God is a holy God. So if anything, if there's any separation, it's not God that said, Hey, I'm going to forget about Cornet. It's Cornet said, I'm going to forget about God. And finally... There must be soberness of purpose. A serious purpose, if you will, in our prayer. You know, in verses 9 through 10, it says, Mourn and weep, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. You see, the prayer must mean something to us if it's to mean anything to God. Other reason our prayers are not answered, sometimes they're just half-hearted, giddy, frivolous, easy-uttered, soon-forget prayers. Anybody have those? We rattle off little what's called now lay me down to sleep type of prayer. And I'll share one with you. I'm going to take up time, but it sounds like, I know this, per, this is kind of over-exaggerated, but you'll get the sense 
and see if your prayer is similar. Now lay me down to sleep. I pray my bank account to keep. I pray my stocks are on the rise and that my analyst is wise. That wine I sip is white and the hot tub is watertight. That racquetball won't get too tough and that all my sushi is fresh enough. I pray my cordless phone still works and that my career won't interrupt my perks. I pray my microwave won't radiate and my condo won't depreciate. I pray my health club does not close and the money market grows. And if I'm broke before I wake, I pray my Mercedes they won't take. Does that sound like some of the prayers that we pray to God? We're rattled off little things. Some people can't even tell you what they prayed about 20 minutes after they said the prayer. So many, you know, it says in another translation, let, let there be tears. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Now that there's nothing wrong with Laughter, trust me, I love laughter. There's nothing wrong with joy. And in Proverbs says, Mary heart does good like medicine. But in Ecclesiastes 7, 6, it says, For like the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. This is also his vanity. You know, God knows that this is a time for America who is laughing her way into hell, my friends, to start to weep. You know, fools mock sin. That's what Proverbs terms tells us, and that's what we're doing. We got people crying for freedom from restraint of laws, no laws. They want to do their own thing. They're talking about liberty like they fought the Valley, Valley Forge or while themselves are servants of corruption. But we do not weep for the wickedness of this world. But friends, that's the world. We do not weep for the weakness of our churches. Do you know that? There's people running around telling the nation they're to repent. These national pastors on the platform, they have this huge platform and they're talking about politics and nation and how the nation needs to repent and so forth. Churches need to repent. How come none of them pastors saying churches need to repent? You know, some people go to church, they have no understanding what it is. Churches have lost their, their priorities. There's a story and it kind of reminds me of the churches. The story, a lady was ironing her clothes and watching television at the same time. She was kind of busy and the phone rang and she answered the phone with an iron. So she went to the doctor and both of her ears were burnt. So the doctor asked her how she burnt her ears. She told him, that's how I burnt my right ear. He said, well, both of your ears are burnt. How'd you burn the other one? She said, well, the idiot called back. <laughs> you see... In the same way, it's a funny story, but the churches are preoccupied. We're preoccupied with all this nonsense. We lost our ways, we lost our focus, we missed what our priorities ought to be. And I think one of the main things that we miss is to keep the main thing the main thing. We forgot who our real enemies are. We forgot who we really are. What's the real weapons of warfare? What's our real message? Many churches fall on this train, love is love, train business organizations. Do you know there's some churches that I know that meet our day, yearly budget in one Sunday? There's millions of dollars filtering through these. They're locked up in programs. They're locked up, pastors are locked up in, in books. It's all about promoting their books and things like that. And I'm not against books. I love books and I read books. But what's happening? Well, when that happens, a lot of people get a misconception of what church is. 
They think it's some kind of club. The tithes are monthly dues. That's what we, that's what we do. You talk to a church member, I'm like, well, you, you go to church? They can't even tell you John 3.16. Why? Is it because of the wicked devil? No. It's because of the wicked churches. Because we lost sight. And I'm telling you, when the church becomes like the world, it has nothing to offer to the world. We are to be delight in this world. We are to do, weep for the lust, lostness of people. How many of us, and don't raise your hands, because I know there's quite a few, and I have some too, have family members, have daughters, have brothers, sisters, that do know the Lord as their personal Savior? Have you weeped for them? When was the last time you shed a cheer for a soul that was mortgaged to the devil. When was the last time you shed a tear when you prayed for this church? All we do is criticize and things like that. And you know, William Booth, who was a founder of Salvation Army, somebody wrote to him and said, we need revival here. We've done everything. We're organized. We've prayed. We've done everything what we know to do. And still there's no revival. What should we do? He wrote back, said, try tears. Try tears. That's what James means here. In 2 Kings uh, 25, uh, verse, uh, chapter 20, verse 5, it says, Return to Hezekiah, the leader of my people. Thus says the Lord of God, of David, your father, I have heard your prayers and I have seen your tears. Surely I will heal you on the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord. You see, some tears are liquid prayers. Some tears are liquid prayers. Peter's great example of that. When, when Peter remembered the words of Jesus, what did he do? Did he get down on his knees and pray or say anything? We don't find that in the Bible. What we do find is he went out and bitterly wept. Bitterly wept for his sins. That's a prayer. And now James returns to the issue of the tongue in verses 11, 22, and reminds us once again. If you want your prayers to be answered, if we want God to hear our prayers as a church, he says, do not speak evil of one another, brethren. Who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you're a judge of the law, you're not a doer of the law. But there's only one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who are you to judge another? Why would God answer our prayers if we're acting like the devil? Somebody says, well, what do you mean by the devil? Well, that's the same thing the devil does. If you go to Revelation 12.10, it says, I hear a loud voice saying, In heaven no salvation is strengthened. The kingdom of God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night, he has been cast down. Remember we talked about gossip, slander, what some of us call sharing prayer requests. So if the saints are to walk together in mutual respect and fellowship, there should be no indulgence in evil speaking. You have to understand that evil speaking is in itself disobedience to God. So if I indulge myself in speaking against my brother or condemning him for disobedience, I myself being disobedient. Isaiah 5, 58, 9 says, Then I shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, Here I am. There's that big if. If you take away the yoke from your midst, pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness. 
So James here questions the man of authority and ability to judge even our neighbor. And the main reasons is because a lot of times we just lack all the information. We don't get all the facts. Number two, we lack personal integrity. And I was reading the book of John with my daughter and came across these verses. I'm sure you remember this story. In John chapter 8, verses 7 through 9, it says, So when they continued asking him and raised himself and said to him, He who is without sin, let him throw stone at her first. Remember that story? Then they all stopped. And those who heard it were convinced by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone with the moment standing in the midst. What's interesting, it says oldest to the last. As you get older, you can start to understand people because you have experienced many failures in your life itself. The men fortified their, forfeited their rights by their wrongs. Right? Because they saw themselves in a mirror. The Word of God, remember, use it as a mirror. And Romans 14, 13 says, Therefore let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not putting a stumbling block or cause fall in other brothers' way. Now, that does not mean we're to ignore sin or to keep quiet about sin. Absolutely not. And if you read that, continue that story in John 8, 10, 11, it says, When Jesus has raised him up and saw not no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are your accusers of yours? No one has condemned you. She said, No, Lord, neither I condemn you. And then what did he say? Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Jesus did not ignore sins. But we should not condemn people. We should help them to get rid of that sin in their lives. And James summarizes this in 5.16, and we'll get to it later, but he says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective and fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. That's what we should be doing, not evil speaking. You see somebody stumbling and Help them. Pray with them. Help them get through it. And friend, we, when we pray, we need to understand that there are principles to prayer. When we come to God and on our knees, we have to come on God's terms, not our terms. And when we do, you can rely on Jeremiah 33.3 for your emergency. That's how I always remember that. Jeremiah 33 for your emergency. It says, call to me, I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. So there's an unasked prayer. There's an unanswered prayer of a selfish man. But there's also an undeniable prayer of a spiritual man. How are we praying? And God answers prayer. And the hope of your life, the hope of this world, and the hope of this church is in the prayer that is answered. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you once again for the valuable lesson we learned from your word concerning prayer. And at this moment, I ask that you let us prepare our hearts for the Lord's table so we can participate in a worthy manner. Amen. Now, as we come to the Lord's table, just like there are principles with prayer, there's also principles with approaching the bread and the wine. There are principles to participating, and first is you have to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. If you haven't done that, I would love to talk to you. It's one of the most important questions in your life you, would, you will have to make. 
One pastor said, you need to choose the bread of life before you become toast. The second question is for those that have accepted Lord Jesus Christ. Same principles when we come to prayer. Check your heart. Examine yourselves. We're reading 1 Corinthians 11, 28-32 says, But let a man examine himself, let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning for the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we're chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Let's take a moment and examine our own hearts. 